We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Second Chronicles 35 and verse 1, it says, Now Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the first month. And he set the priests in their duties and encouraged them. I like that. I highlighted that. For the service of the house of the Lord. And then he said to the Levites who taught all Israel, who were holy to the Lord, Put the holy ark in the house which Solomon the son of David, king of Israel, built. It shall no longer be a burden on your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God and his people, Israel. And so we just kind of pick it up in the middle of the story. And, you know, the Lord is kind of bringing like one last revival to the nation of Israel. Because you're going to see next time we're here that in chapter 36, they get taken away captivity. There'll be four more kings, but it's over a period of maybe, you know, altogether 22 years. So they're on the end of their existence as a nation there. Of course, they're going to go into captivity. They're going to come back, and Lord willing, we'll be able to go through the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther together. But um, here we see the Lord bringing about a revival through this guy, Josiah. Guess how old he was when he started as king? Anybody know? Eight years old. If Joel Josiah is here, we should bring him up and just kind of give you an example, man. Okay, and so anyways, uh, you know, his name, Josiah, it means uh, Jehovah heals. The Lord who heals. And I was just thinking about that tonight. I was thinking, Lord, I'll bet you there are people here tonight that need healing. And maybe you need healing physically, and that's cool. God is able to do that. But man, much more important than that. You guys, we need healing in our heart. How We need healing in our lives. We go through things. We get hit. We get cut. We get maimed. You know, we get uh, all beat up. And, uh, and we can actually go through like the rest of our lives without that emotional or spiritual healing. But the Lord is always here to heal you. No matter what you've gone through in life, no matter what you're going through in life, God can mend your broken heart and God can restore you in ways that, man, you'll be stronger than ever when you know the Lord heals you. And like I've told you guys before, what ends up happening is healed people heal people, right? Hurt people hurt people. But what God wants to do is God wants to heal us. And so I hope you're here ready to receive that healing. I think in the study of the life of Josiah, that's available to us. You know, you study his life, and like we've talked about before, sometimes God, you know, preaches through messages that are articulated through someone's lips, but a lot of times he preaches through lives. And so Josiah here is going to bring healing. God's going to use him in your life. We see that he used Josiah, and he's a great leader. He's a great leader and maybe there are great leaders here today. You know, he wasn't always a leader. And maybe you're here and you're not a leader. But man, maybe God's going to work in you in such a way that he'll make you a great leader. That's my prayer. I pray that you guys would all be great leaders and that God would use your life to change the world for good. I, I pray that with all my heart. And you might even be here and you're like, well, I'm not a leader. Because I just don't have that type of personality. 
Well, the other day we were uh, listening to a study. We were actually sitting in. Uh, General Boykin was speaking over at Calvary Chapel Golden Spring, Springs, and he was saying, "Leaders are leaders born or leaders made? Are leaders born or are leaders made? And a lot of the people were saying, well, leaders are born. Leaders are born. And he was saying, no, they're not. Sometimes, yeah, maybe, but primarily leaders are made. They're made because they learn to lead. They learn to put others before themselves. They learn to be obedient. They learn to follow the Lord. And what ends up happening is like Moses, he became so meek but trained by God, one of the greatest leaders of all time. And so all I'm saying is that if we catch that vision, everybody here, God can do great things through our life. Josiah, we're going to see today, was an absolutely amazing leader And we read in verse 1 that he kept the Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem. And they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the first month. So this whole chapter is primarily about the Passover. And so it focuses a lot on that. Because what had happened was they found the word of God. They found the word of God in the temple of God. It had been lost in the temple of God. You know, and it was kind of an illustration how even today you can go to church and a lot of times people are not studying the Bible. They're not really in the Word of God. You might even be a child of God and you lost the Word of God. You don't read the Bible anymore. And how, how are you going to win if you don't read the Bible? You got to get into the Word because this is a living Word. It's alive. It's food for your soul. It's a working Word. Open up your Bible. Read it and heed it. Love it and learn it and live it. The Bible is the key. So they found the Bible and as they're reading the Bible and right now, you know, they're in the first month and it's probably early and then Josiah's like, hey man, we got to keep the Passover. Because on the 10th day, they would select the, the lamb, and on the 14th day, they would keep the Passover, followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so he's just being biblical now. And so he's like, we have to keep the Passover. And so he's going to follow through with this. And out of all the feasts, the Passover, it, it, not saying it was necessarily the, the, the most important, because they're all significant, but the Passover was huge. It was epic. It was ginormous in the, in, the, in the eyes of the Jews. And so, you know, for Josiah to now keep this Passover, and we're going to see, we're going to see in our Bible, it was the greatest Passover that any king ever had. I mean, he says it, it goes back 400 years. The only one that's comparable to it was in the time of Samuel. And we don't even read about it in Samuel, but, I mean, this was a, a huge revival Partially because it wasn't just Judah, it also included Israel, so it was both kingdoms. And we're going to see that all the sacrifices that were made, it doubled uh, the Passover of King Hezekiah. And so it's a huge, amazing thing that God does. And so he just lifts up the Passover. Um, yeah, what is the Passover? Well, it's when we eat all those funky things and, you know, the bitter herbs and all that. And yeah, 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 that's part of it. But you guys, maybe, have you anybody here seen the Prince of Egypt? Is that a curiosity? Then you know what the Passover is, kind of, huh? I mean, you guys know what had happened was the children of Israel, God had given them a promise. God had said, I have a land for you. It's a land, uh, a promised land. And he told Abraham to get out of the area over there, the Chaldeans, out of Ur, and he 
And he left that land and the Bible says he, he went out not knowing where he was going, but God was leading him. And so he goes and he lives in the land, but he doesn't own anything except for a grave and things don't really happen. But then his descendants begin to multiply and as time progresses, what ends up happening is there's a famine in the land. They still don't have a whole lot. This promise of God, it seemed like it would never come to pass. But, you know, the Lord's on the throne. And a lot of times what you think is the way it should happen and the time frame that you have in mind is not God's ways. His ways are higher than your ways. They're greater than your ways. And so what ends up happening is, you know, through this series of uh, events, what ends up happening is a famine in the land. God sends Joseph ahead of them. And you guys know a lot of this story, I'm sure. The children of Israel eventually went to Egypt. And at first it was cool. Things were good. But then eventually they became slaves. Slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. And so the time comes, God prepares the leader. Now the people are ready because both had to be ready at the same time. And then God sends Moses back. And uh, God says, uh, I got a message for you, Pharaoh. Moses, when you go back, I want you to talk to Pharaoh. Who cares if he's, a, if he's the king or the, the leader or the president? It doesn't matter. You go into him and you tell him, thus says the Lord, let my people go. And you know, Moses is like, I don't know if that's going to work. you know. And so he does go in and Pharaoh's like, who's the Lord? Who's the Lord? I don't know the Lord. Neither will I let you go. As a matter of fact, I'm going to double your workload. And before things got better, they got worse. But you guys remember what happened, right? Moses, at first, it was kind of like, Lord, I don't know how this is going to work. And I'm not sure. Well, you kind of, I don't know. This is not looking good. And then the Lord just says, don't worry about it. And then you guys remember what starts happening, huh? All the plagues, man. You know, the Nile River. He attacked all their gods. And it turns to, to blood and... I mean, I just trip out on all the plagues. And you guys know it was all uh, just really attacking the gods of Egypt, right? And um, imagine what it would be like, the one plague where there was frogs everywhere. Anybody here, free, you gross out on frogs? You gross out on them? Imagine having frogs everywhere. You open up your refrigerator and they start hopping in there, you know? Try to go to bed and they're under the covers. They're on top of the covers. And, you know, I mean, just all these various plagues. I mean, the lice. Was it lice? Yeah, lice. Biohos. You guys know what those are, right? You guys freak out when we get lice. And, oh, there's a, a lice in the kids' ministry. Imagine having them everywhere, all over your body. Think about that for a second, man. I mean, imagine, you know, all these things, the boils that covered them, you know, the darkness that could be felt, the hail that fell, that God made a distinction between Goshen and and them, and just, uh, I mean, the, the locusts, and just all these different things. But they still didn't have their freedom. They didn't have their freedom. Now, to, to me, it doesn't make any sense. But God was actually sending a message that the, this would provide their freedom, the Passover. And that's why it's so important that Josiah celebrates it. And that's why... Linked with revival is a celebration of Passover because this is what provided freedom for them because it was a picture of more than freedom. It was a picture of forgiveness. And you guys remember the, 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 the instructions, right? They were to take the lamb, select it on the 10th day. If you were a small family, couldn't afford a whole lot, you can hook up with other families 
And you would kill the lamb and take the blood and you would just put it on the doorpost and the lintel. It was like a cross. And so when the angel would come, that angel of death that would strike all the firstborn of the land, if he saw the blood on your house, you guys remember? He would pass over. See? And, And what that was is a picture of Jesus. Kind of like Sunday pointing you to Jesus. Thursday, pointing you to Jesus. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, pointing you to Jesus. Friday, Saturday, pointing you to Jesus. No matter what you're going through, the answer is Jesus. Draw near to Jesus. Well, Manny, I need this and that. I need answers. Jesus is who you need. He's the answer for whatever it is that you're going through. That the blood of the Lamb applied to your life. It's not enough just that the blood of the Lamb died. It's the blood of the Lamb needs to be applied to your life. That's what the Passover was. It was the death blow. It was the final blow, the event that ended their slavery. And it was finally when Pharaoh's firstborn died and there was death, he was defeated. And then it says in Exodus 12, 31, he called for Moses and Aaron by night and he said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Interesting. Not just set free, but set free to serve. That's going to go with our study tonight. You know, and for us, you guys, I pray that we would know what the Passover is. It's a picture of freedom. Because prior to that, how many of you here were um, in chains to your sins? I mean, so many of us here. I mean, I know for some of you here, you would not be married if it were not for Christ. You would uh, still be doing drugs, still be looking at porn, still be drinking, um, still be cussing like a sailor, uh, still be, you know, addicted to, to gambling, your life would be thrashed if it were not that you have been set free. So we can never cease celebrating the Passover. We can't pass up the Passover ever. Every time we, we have communion, we celebrate the Passover. Every time. That's how important this holiday is to us. And so Josiah, who's bringing healing and bringing revival, he takes people back to the Passover, to this celebration of freedom and forgiveness. And so I like what it says in verse 2, because he wants to get this thing going, you know, he really wants it to happen. And so he set the priests in their duties and encouraged them for the service of the house of the Lord. You know, God wants you to, we talked about it already during the Passover, set free to serve. Set free to serve. So Josiah here encourages them to do what? To serve for their service of the house of the Lord. I want a whole bunch of people to get saved. I want God's name to be glorified and famous. I want people to know Jesus. And so I know that as a leader, we got to get people engaged in this we got to get people excited about serving the lord and so what does he do he encourages them you want to know why because the devil discourages you from serving the lord he'll discourage you in so many ways you're not worthy you're not good enough you're too busy 
You've got other things that are more important in life. And the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches or just whatever it is. You know, I think I've done enough. I'm tired now. It's the devil. It's the voice of the devil. God's people, they don't burn out serving the Lord. Because they sit at his feet every day and they draw from the wells of living water and then they have something to give out. I'm telling you this, there ain't nothing like serving the Lord. You can go and you can serve yourself and you can serve the world, but there is nothing like serving the Lord. And God gave you gifts and God put us in places and he has responsibilities that we have. And, and, and so, you know, encouraging you, not discouraging you. And there are some even spiritual leaders that would discourage you to, to say, oh, you can't serve the Lord. You're not, you know, holy enough or whatever. And, and I just, as a pastor, yeah, you know, hopefully, you know, you're saved or, you know, we got to make sure you're saved. But I always like to tell people right away, get involved, man. Get, become an usher. Clean toilets. Do something. And yeah, I admittedly, there are some times where it's not going to be in the building here through church service. But most of the time it will be. You know, I mean, there are some people, they have other responsibilities. They got to go take care of their parents and just things that I know are heavy in life or they have a parachurch ministry. But, you know, a lot of times you're going to find your place of service is going to be in the body of Christ, in the local congregation where you're involved in. So don't listen to the enemy who tries to discourage you. Listen to the Lord who tries to encourage you. Know this, um, in Matthew 9.38, it says... um, The harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. So pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I'll tell you what, we, even we, need people to serve. We need people to be overseers. I shouldn't have to be an overseer, neither should Henry. But people need to step up and to serve. I mean, and you just have to be there. You got to be there. You got to make yourself available. You have to show yourself trustworthy because at the end of the day, we're not going to give it to somebody who's never there. But you are called to serve the Lord. I pray that you would hear like the words of Barnabas. You know, his name, it means son of encouragement. And that's exactly what he did. He went out and he encouraged people to serve. You know, remember in Acts chapter 11 when there was a work going on in Antioch? The Bible says he went looking for who? Do you guys remember? Saul. Or Paul. He went looking for him. Hey, you know, I, I don't know what you're doing over there. Washing your cat. Come here, let me, I want you to come over here and I want you to serve. And who, man, who knows where he would be? And I don't know for sure. Maybe he was doing things there. But maybe he would have never served the Lord had it not been for Barnabas. Or, for example, Mark. You guys remember the whole contention with Mark and, and, and Barnabas and Paul over Mark. And so Barnabas chose to be there with him to help him through that. And Mark recovered because somebody encouraged him. And that's what Josiah is doing right here. He's encouraging him. And I want to encourage you guys, you know. I mean, don't think that, oh, Manny just needs help. So he's trying to, you know, recruit some people right here. And I feel a lasso around my neck. No, it's not like that. You will be blessed when you step up and serve. And stop making excuses because you're not good enough. Because I tell you what, the privilege of the ministry is growth. And when you start getting involved in serving the Lord, there's something about that flow that comes in. You're not just a 
a pew potato, you know. There's something about that flow that goes through you that even helps you in your walk. And so, anyways, here he's encouraging them to serve. This is the priests. And then in the Levites, verse 3, he said to the Levites who taught all Israel, who were holy to the Lord, he said, put the holy ark in the house which Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. It shall no longer be a burden on your shoulders. There it is again. Now serve the Lord your God and his people, Israel. Remember this, when you're serving, who are you serving first? The Lord. And then the people. And if you remember that, it helps you a lot. I'm not, you're not serving man. You're not serving manny. You're serving God. And what a wonderful privilege that is, that we could serve God. Wow. You know, these guys right here, these uh, Levites, the priests were the descendants of Aaron, the Levites were the descendants of Levi, and they were actually called to um, help the descendants of Aaron. They were called to help in the Aaronic priesthood, even though they themselves were not considered that type of priest. And, uh, and so here we see that they were encouraged to teach. And I love it when God raises up teachers because... I believe in the teaching of God's word. And when more people are taught and built up, then you're going to have a healthier church. And so here you have them, you know, encouraged along those lines to teach. And, uh, and, and not only that, but he says there in verse 3, to put the ark, the holy ark, back where it belongs. So you wonder about that. You're like, well, wait a minute. I thought the ark was already in the temple. Well, most of us believe that what had happened was during the rebellious years of Manasseh's reign that the ark of the covenant was removed out of the temple. And so Josiah now brings it back to where it belongs. You guys don't have to carry it anymore. It needs to be right there. Because it was in the ark of the covenant where they would sprinkle the blood. You guys remember, they would go into the holy place, they would sprinkle the blood there on the lid, the mercy seat. So it was there that they found forgiveness, and it was there where God said, I will meet with you. And we need more of that. We need more of that. You need, we need to meet with God. This is not a religion. It's a relationship. Are you, are you meeting with him? Are you hearing his voice, that still small voice? Because if not, then your Christianity is not what it's supposed to be. It's going to be dry. And you're going to wonder, even if it's real sometimes. Why? Because you're not meeting with God. Meet with God. He made a way. You know, the Bible talks about how when Jesus died, the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. So we don't have to go through the priests anymore. We can go right into the most holy place and meet with God. So, you know, it's so cool through that healing, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the revival that this is happening, you know, that people are, are being encouraged to serve and and God is restoring that place where they can meet and be forgiven and be free. It's such a, a, such a beautiful, healthy life for us as Christians. And so we read in verse 4, he goes on to speak and he says, Prepare yourselves according to your father's houses, according to your divisions, 
Following the written instruction of David, king of Israel, and the written instruction of Solomon, his son, and stand in the holy place according to the divisions of the father's houses of your brethren and lay people according to the division of the father's house of the Levites. So slaughter the Passover offerings, consecrate yourselves, and prepare them for your brethren that they may do according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Josiah is cool. And you want to know how old he is right here? 26 years old. Think about that. Can you be right on for the Lord at 26? Some of you are like, no way, that's too young. This guy was amazing. 26 years old, leading the whole country in revival. Admittedly, he started young when he was eight. But it's so cool to see that. I, I, want, I pray you guys would know that, you know, as you seek the Lord, as you draw near to Him, you won't need a man to lift you up. You won't be dependent on whether, oh, I hope Pastor Manny recognizes me or Henry or, or whatever. God will raise you up if you fall in love with the Lord. And He's looking for leaders. He really is. Josiah here at 26 years old, he's getting things going and he's organizing them. And he says, okay, you guys, you got to get to your, to your places according to your divisions. Remember, David wrote about this and Solomon wrote about this. And you can read it in First Chronicles 23, 26, how they organized everything where per- certain people are supposed to be. Like we got Fernando back there and he's, he's taking care of the front door, make sure no mashers come in. And if they do, he's going to sock them because... That's why we have him there, because he's buff. And then we got David back there watching the soundboard. And we got Gabby playing the drums. I mean, everybody's in their place. Jerry's over there teaching. We got people where they're supposed to be. There's an organization here. That's the way it was then as well. It's an organization, right? And Josiah just wanted to make sure that these guys were where they needed to be, and they were ready to serve, They had to be organized, knowing when and where, but they also had to be sanctified. They had to be clean in order to serve. And uh, the interesting thing about it, in the Old Testament, it wasn't an instantaneous thing. If you touch something and you were unclean, or you committed some type of sin, you couldn't just go in and be forgiven like we can now. For us, right here, right now, you need forgiveness? You can have it in a split second, in one-eleventh of a second, in the twinkling of an eye, you can cry to Jesus, forgive me. And right there and then, the blood of Jesus will wash, wash you and make you right in His sight. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? Back then, it wasn't that easy. Back then, you had to wait days. Back then, you had to go and offer the sacrifices. And so as He's getting these guys ready, He's telling them, hey, this is where you need to be. And look at verse 6, and you need to consecrate yourselves, right? And, and so for us, we have to consecrate ourselves, I think, in the same way. Um, in the Old Testament, they had the prescribed offerings and time frames to abide by. But for us in our own modern-day ministry, you know, think about this, okay? Let's just say that the rain came. Like it really came. And I'm talking about like a spiritual rain of revival. 
And let's just say the Lord just brought in, you know, thousands of people or whatever into the church all around the country and even in our congregation. I wonder if we'd be ready to serve them. I wonder, you know, if a whole bunch of people started getting saved and there was this massive Passover celebration. I mean, maybe God's trying to get us ready for that. You know, the Lord's coming. I wouldn't be surprised if there was one last revival before he came. And so the Lord maybe is trying to get us ready for that. I mean, would we be ready? If God called on you today to serve him in some way, would you be ready? You know, um, again, don't misunderstand me. It's all grace and we'll never be good enough or we'll never be worthy to serve. But we do need to get a good grip of that grace and understand that not only does it wash me of my sin and make me forgiven of sin, but it sets me free from sin. And I don't have to persistently, consistently, and resistantly walk in that anymore because God lives in me. And I have power over sin. And as I seek Him and I try to please Him now, He gets blessed by that. I like what it says in 2 Timothy 2.21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. God wants to prepare us now. You guys know how it is. You can't get ready like right then and there. Right? You got to get ready in advance. And that's what he's trying to tell these guys. You know, consecrate yourselves. Get ready. We know in the Old Testament they would actually have to wash at the laver every single time. Not just their hands, but also their feet. And then they could go in and serve. And so Josiah says in verse 7, he, this actually begins to happen. He gave the lay people lambs and young goats from the flock, all for Passover offerings, for all who are present to the number of 30,000, as well as 3,000 cattle. These were from the king's possessions. And his leaders gave willingly to the people, to the priests, and to the Levites, Hilkiah, Zechariah, and Jehiel, rulers of the house of God, gave to the priests for the Passover offerings 2,600 from the flock and 300 cattle, also, Konaniah, his brother, Shemaiah, and Nathanael, Hashabiah, and Jael, Josabad, chief of the Levites, gave to the Levites for the Passover offerings 5,000 from the flock and 500 cattle. And I just think this is so cool, huh? Giving to the poor. They can't afford the, the sacrifice. Uh, um, Josiah could, and he just, you know, he gave to them. I think it's cool even how he led them. We're talking about leading here, right? Being a good leader and, you know, you get things organized and you go encourage people and, you know, things like that. But now he's being an example to them, right? And he knows that all those people right there, they're not going to be able to celebrate this. They're not going to be able to take part in this unless somebody goes over there and really helps them through this and provides for them and walks them through this and takes them by the hand and, and he's being that example, right? 30,000 lambs and goats, 3,000 cattle. And, you know, the cool thing about it is because he was that example, he didn't have to twist the arms of his fellow leaders. They gave willingly, it says in verse 8. For them, it was 2,600 from the flock, 300 cattle. And others are mentioned there in verse 9, giving an additional 5,000 from the flock and 500 
cattle. And again, in this we see that familiar principle, you guys, just in case you are called to be a leader, remember leaders are to be examples. More than anything else, be a model for those you aspire to lead. Right? In our overall walk, uh, Paul said in Philippians 3.17, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Not just in your walk, in your word. 2 Timothy 1.13, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. See, Paul was an example. Paul was a pattern. And then in 1 Corinthians 4.16 and 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, if you've got to read the whole context there, what he's talking about is the way that he suffers, just everything he does, his overall ministry. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And the Greek word there is mimic. And so just encouraging you guys, you parents, especially you parents, because your kids, they're watching you. They're, they're not listening to you. I'm sorry. They're not. They're watching you. How do you treat your wife? How do you treat your husband? How do you go to church service? How do, do you read your Bible? What kind of words do you use? What kind of movies do you watch? I mean, they are watching you. And so that's why it's important to be an example and to lead uh, as that person who would show them how to live it, right? And so the service was prepared and the priests stood in their places and the Levites in their divisions according to the king's command. Now everything's ready, right? They got their sacrifices. Everybody's in their spot. It's just so beautiful. And then they slaughtered the Passover offerings and the priests sprinkled the blood with their hands while the Levites skinned the animals. See the teamwork there? Then they removed the burnt offerings that they might give them to the divisions of the fathers' houses of the lay people to offer to the Lord as it is written in the book of Moses. And so they did with the cattle. One of the things you'll see about this Passover, it wasn't just them taking the lamb and applying the blood to their doorposts and lentils, although as part of it, it was also people just going to the temple and just offering these sacrifices. A burnt offering is like, man, I'm giving my all to you, right? They're going to be fellowship offerings where they're eating together. It, it smelled like a barbecue. I, I kind of like that smell. Do you guys like that smell? Do you ever go home and smell your neighbors barbecuing and wish you knew them a little better? And <laughs> You know, oh, that smells so good, you know. This is, I mean, you got to be careful because this is holier than that. But, you know, um, they roasted the Passover offerings in verse 13 with fire according to the ordinance. But the other holy offerings they boiled with in pots and cauldrons in pans and divided them, notice, quickly among all the lay people. And then afterward they prepared portions for themselves. I like this, for the priests because the priests the sons of Aaron were busy in offering burnt offerings far and fat until night therefore the Levites prepared portions for themselves and for the priests the sons of Aaron because some of the sacrifices you guys know they would uh, give to the Lord and then they would give to the priests and then some of them they would take for themselves that's the way it worked and it says not only did they do that the Levitical work also included the worship there in verse 15, the singers, the sons of Asaph, were in their places. I love that. Just like we've got Angel and Jane and those that are leading worship, Erlin. There they are in their places, according to the command of David, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, the king's seer. Also, the gatekeepers were at each gate. They did not have to leave their positions. I like this. 
because they got their food delivered to them. It says their brethren, the Levites, prepared portions for them. And this is cool, huh? You just see this beautiful mindset of unity, working together, just serving the Lord and His people. And so all the service of the Lord was prepared the same day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. And the children of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread that would follow immediately uh, for seven days. There had been no Passover kept in Israel like that since the days of Samuel the prophet. And none of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as Josiah kept with the priests and Levites, all Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, remember he started when he was eight, so the 18th year this Passover was kept. And this is so cool, man. And I don't know, I just, as a, as a pastor, I, hopefully as a Christian, you guys were optimistic. We don't give up, man. We're like, Lord, you can do something great. You really can, you know? Something like this, Lord, the, the greatest Passover, you know, in, in 400 years. Even though this guy was young, only 26 years old. And it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm going to be 50 this year. Don't tell anybody. I told you. Because I know I don't look that old, and they would never guess that. But um, <laughs> I have learned. How, how many of you guys older, right around 50, you're learning, huh, that you do get wiser as you get older? I mean, I think... No, not everybody, but, <laughs> but you know, you learn through life's experiences, and you've been studying the Bible all these years, and you're learning, huh? So praise God for that, but, but not just us old fogies, man, the young people too. And it's just so cool when you realize that it, as long as it's a surrendered heart, God can do a great and awesome thing. And so, you know, even as a young man, Psalm 119 verse 9, just in case you're here and you're young. How can a young man cleanse his way? How? By taking heed according to your word. You young men, you young women that are out there, get into the Bible. Start reading your Bible. And you let God teach you. And you watch what happens, right? 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. And so, um, as every man took his place and did his job, God did a great work. They slaughtered the Passover offerings. We saw in verse 11, they offered burnt offerings. We saw that in verse 12. They roasted offerings, boiled offerings, gave them to the people, then themselves. They worked hard in serving the Lord. And then they're there, think about it, just worshiping. It must have been so beautiful to see. And you know... um, when God did a great work through Josiah, we'll close with this. He must have been perfect man, huh? And the answer, of course, we, we know is no. And here's where it gets tough. Okay, here, I'm going to close with this. I want to make sure I don't miss this, but I ought to hurry up because I already hear stomachs growling, grumbling. Later, later, we'll see. Um, you know, Josiah's about to die. And um, I don't know, he shouldn't have died. He really probably shouldn't have died. He kind of meddled in things that weren't his business. And he died. Here was a good man. And he died. 
And I was just thinking about that lesson of life. Because lately we've been seeing a lot of people die. And even a good man like Josiah dying at the age of 28. You know, and then you got Eric. He's, he was only eight. And then I, we did a funeral for Frank Morales. He was 84. Which is worse? When they die young? Or some would say, oh, it's worse when they die young. Well, I don't know. Because when he's 84, you got to get closer to him all those years. This old, older man and he dies. That's hard. I mean, you, he's been your grandpa for, you know, 72 years. So when for him to die, that's hard. For this young little boy to die with so much life and vitality, it's not supposed to be that way. Parents are never supposed to outlive their children. But you see, we live in this fallen world. You know, and just in case you're here and you're thinking, man, I'm suffering from this, and, and uh, you know, the enemy comes in and he tries to use it for ammunition for, for evil, what we got to know is it happens even the best don't be discouraged because when Josiah died he went to heaven and, and, and his life it means that God heals us God heals us we all gotta die we all have to die one day the question is whether or not we'll live well, we have life. Yeah, it was, it was a silly thing. We read in verse 20, and after all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish by the Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. I mean, it was Egypt. Uh, they were kind of, they were like teaming up with Assyria because they were going to fight against the Babylonians. And Josiah shouldn't have been there. As a matter of fact, if you read the parallel passage in 2 Kings 23, God told him that this guy was supposed to do what Josiah should have not meddled in this. And so he sent messengers to him saying, What have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but against the house with which I have war. For God commanded me to make haste. Refrain from meddling with God who is with me, lest he destroy you. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself so that he, he might fight with him and did not heed the words of Nico. Notice, from the mouth of God. So he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo, and the archers shot King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am severely wounded and his servants therefore took him out of that chariot, put him in the second chariot, that's the ambulance chariot that they had, and they brought him to Jerusalem. But, but he died, and he was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. It's okay to mourn. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah mourned, and he wrote a lamentation. Not the book of lamentations, but he wrote a lamentation. It was hard. It was hard. But we live in a fallen world. And that's why we need Jesus to come, huh? I've just been praying that more and more. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. I've even been praying Hosanna. I've been singing Hosanna. I wouldn't sing it in front of you guys, but I, I like, we play the music loud here in this church. Did you guys notice that? I'm like, oh, this is loud. Maybe I'm getting old, but it's loud. 
But anyways, the cool thing about it being loud is that you can't hear yourself. <laughs> so you can kind of sing loud. And I've been singing Hosanna. Hosanna, what does it mean? Save now. Don't let the, the deaths of the, of the loved ones around you defeat you or discourage you. Even though I know it's hard, I would even pray this, let it encourage you because we're all going to have to cross that bridge one day. And we got to get ready for that. It happens to the best. It shouldn't have happened this way. And you can think of all the different reasons. 19-year-old dying in an accident. What's that all about, Lord? It's a reminder. We're not home yet. We're just pilgrims passing through. This is not our home. Josiah, when he died... And again, we shouldn't have done it, and we can, you know, blame him on all that, but the bottom line, at the end of the day, he was a righteous man. He went to heaven, right? And so they buried him. He died and was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Jeremiah also lamented for Josiah. And to this day, all the singing men and singing women speak of Josiah in their lamentations. Think about that. This is... This is probably risen by Ezra. I mean, this is way later. This guy, Josiah, impacted the world. See? And they're still singing about him. And so they made it a custom in Israel, and indeed they are written in the laments. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness, according to what was written in the law of the Lord and his deeds from First to last, indeed, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And so, you know, we close kind of on a bummer, man. I wish he wouldn't have done that. And and yet, you know what? Um, I think just looking at his life in, in the big picture, it says that this guy was a good king. He was a good king who pointed Jesus, who pointed people to Jesus, I think, in the ultimate sense. Because what does the Bible say? It says that Jesus is our Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. And even though Josiah maybe didn't finish well, and there are those times where people don't finish well. Um, Want to know who finished well? Jesus finished well. You guys know that when he died on the cross? What did he say? What were his last three words? To Telestai. Well, not in Greek, maybe Aramaic. You guys know what I'm talking about. It is finished. So you're here today. I don't you don't know Jesus. I pray that today you would enter into a relationship with you, with him, knowing that he loves you, he died for you on the cross. They put him in a grave, he rose again. But if you want to know that you have forgiveness and freedom, if you want to know for sure that when you die you'll go to heaven. All you got to do today, right here, right now, one eleventh of a second, is put your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you drifted away, it's time to come back. And if you're sitting and you shouldn't be sitting, it's time to start serving. Why? Because the Lord's coming. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Yeah, but I'm not good enough. Join the club. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel, El Monte 
at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.